listening to County Conversations, a podcast brought to you by the New York State Association of Counties. This episode features a conversation about indigent legal defense services provided at the county level. Joining NYSAC's counsel, Patrick Cummings, are Bill Leahy and Patricia Worth from the New York State Office of Indigent Legal Services. After serving as director of ILS for 10 years, Bill is retiring and Patricia will be taking on the position. Hello, NYSAC members. This is Patrick Cummings, counsel with NYSAC. I'd like to welcome you again to our podcast series. Today, we have a really special episode. Um, it's an area of county responsibility that I care very de- dearly about. It's one of the most important roles a county can play. Uh, that's the role of offering your residents indigent legal services. Uh, indigent legal services are both on the criminal and family court side uh, that where our county provides uh, needed services for those that can't afford it for themselves. Today, we're very lucky to be joined by two experts in the field from the New York State Office of Indigent Legal Services. Uh, first up, we'll talk to Bill Leahy, the director, who's joining us on his last day. Uh, Bill is retiring today, uh, and he's going to celebrate his career with us, tell us a little about his career, and then also uh, accomplishments that ILS had over the years working with counties. And we have Patricia Worth, who's taking on the mantle and becoming the director of ILS. Patricia, prior uh, to taking on the director role, was counsel at ILS and worked closely uh, with counties over the years. It is great to have you both here today. Um, Bill, let's start, let's start with you. It's, uh, it's uh, retirement day, but uh, can, why, don't, why don't we talk about a little bit of your career? Where, um, uh, you started in Massachusetts, as I've gotten to know you over the years, and then, then you, you, you came here to New York and served for 10, 10 plus years now as the director of uh, ILS. Why don't you let us know a little bit of your journey, what, what got you into this uh, important field, and then uh, what brought you to New York? Sure. So just uh, briefly, my professional history, Pat, um, I started out as a, as a regular line public defender with the old Massachusetts Defenders Committee, which was a statewide public defender agency um, in Massachusetts, uh, 1974, right out of law school, did a lot of trial work, did some appellate work. Then 1984, 1983, actually, the Massachusetts legislature passed a, a reform bill called the uh, uh, established an agency called the Committee for Public Counsel Services, and that what that did was combined all the representation by public defenders and private counsel in a whole range of cases: criminal defense, both adult and juvenile. Uh, family law cases, mental health litigation cases, sex offender cases, anywhere where there was a right to counsel. It was all under this new giant umbrella agency. I wasn't picked to lead it at the outset. I was picked to lead the public defender side of it, which was very the much smaller side. So I got a chance to make my mistakes over that seven years from 84 to 91, you know, in relative anonymity. Uh, while the uh, the chief guy Arnie Rosenfeld, you know, took all the pu- the brunt of all the public uh, uh, stress and the uh, you know the fight for funding and all the rest of it. Fortunately or unfortunately for me, 1991, Arnie Rosenfeld moved on, and I was picked to be his successor, much as Patricia's being picked uh, to to be has been picked to be my successor now here in New York. 
So then I had about a 20 year run as chief counsel of this giant agency. The agency grew and grew. There were fights galore. There was litigation over the uh, inadequacy of the hourly rates paid to private counsel, if that sounds familiar. Uh, we litigated a case successfully in 2004 in Massachusetts in which uh, the long-term failure of the state to finance adequate compensation for the lawyers who represent clients, uh, private lawyers who represent clients who, who, who are indigent, uh, was declared itself to be a violation of the Constitution, and the legislature had to step up, and it did. Of course, things have fallen behind since then in Massachusetts, as they have in New York with respect to that issue. But at the time, it was a really big um, uh, 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 success, and it also led to a, a balancing out of more cases going to public defenders. Uh, still, the majority in Massachusetts go to assigned private counsel. But the so, Bill, let me let me jump in ahead. there. So, so just so I'm understanding, and, and make sure our, our members are understanding, you're 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 now at a, at a you're in a position that that's that's necessary, in Massachusetts, because you've got. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong, a, a federal mandate, um, a federal constitutional mandate that, that if one gets a criminal charge, uh, that they've got the right to counsel, um, they, whether or not they can afford that counsel or not, that if they can't afford that, um, the, the state will need to provide uh, that, that service. And then you got into a term, I think you said adequate counsel, right? So it's not just counsel. You want to make sure that the counsel uh, has uh, the ability to, to um to do to do a good job to make to represent them and so to make sure that they're not um, that's right and that's exactly right Pat. and to and to permit that adequacy of representation you must pay the lawyers a sufficient amount so that they're not losing money on every case as they have to run their law office and keep their practice alive uh, so uh, that was a very big moment uh, but the the other thing I want to say about Massachusetts and I'll move into why I came here and what I found here um, is, uh, you know, Massachusetts is a true top-down state government. The counties have a very, very small role uh, in, um, in, in, in any of the big funding issues. Uh, so in Massachusetts, from the beginning, uh, the state picked up the cost of the representation for public defense uh, representation, uh, unlike in New York with 18B. Uh, so I'm approaching my mid-60s. I'm looking for a new professional challenge. I decide to move on, uh, and I've got one eye on a New York. I had a, another eye on a couple of other things. Um, and, um, you know, I was familiar uh, with the uh, K Commission report from 2006, uh, which castigated the inadequacy of the system. Uh, I was familiar with the efforts of Jonathan Gradess and the New York State Defenders Association and the New York State Bar Association for the state to take action. Um, I didn't know much about NISAC. So I come to New York, I get the job, um, and uh, my counsel, uh, Joe Worsham at the time, uh, who served eight years as counsel for ILS, and many, many of your members will, will still fondly remember Joe, um, he said, you got to call this guy, Steve Aquario. I said, Steve, who, how do you spell it? What's his number? Why is he important? I knew nothing about New York is, is what I really want to say here. And from day one, from the very first call, uh, Steve and I realized that we had a real common mission and that was to 
require the state to live up to its constitutional responsibility under the Gideon decision and under the other federal and state constitutional and statutory mandates. It's a simple proposition, but from 1965 on, the state has somehow managed to evade that clear constitutional obligation. And so uh, in, in, in Massachusetts, you're saying you've got a system by which the federal government requires that the, the federal constitution requires that this council be provided and the state, the state is obligated to provide that council. And in, in the, the, the top down system in Massachusetts, you said, um, where, where counties don't play much of a role. This is a, this was a state burden. The state took this on with the state costs, whereas in New York, where we were different, we're, we're a little bit of a different animal. Right. Uh, where, where a lot of the, the counties do take on uh, through state law a lot of uh, what, what would be normally federally mandated programs and indigent defense is one of those areas where, where a county is to provide that service, uh, not the state of New York um, uh, through through New York state statutes requires this. But then also they were passing on some of the costs as well. So that, is that, I, that's kind of the state that you met in New York uh, when you came here, correct? That's right. And that, that's a challenge that Massachusetts met back in the, the early 1980s when they said, yes, this is the state's responsibility. The state has to fund it 100%. Um, and so uh, that's the that's what I came here. You know, I discovered, well, New York, I think at the time was paying, I don't know, 10%, 15%. And, um, and, and worse than that, or at least, uh, you know, in addition to that, not providing any state guidance. So what, what, what are we talking about here? Uh, what does quality mean? Uh, what does a fair trial mean? You know, every county was left to its own devices. And, uh, and of course, you have some well-off counties and you have some, some, some nationally recognized programs, particularly in New York City. And then you have, you know, every county just left to its own devices. Uh, and, and so I think what we've been able to do with powerful support from NISAC at every step of the way is we've been able to persuade the state, at least partially, as you said, Pat, uh, with respect to criminal defense, certainly. Um, and even there, it took the lawsuit. Let's not forget, it took the Harrell Haring lawsuit and the state settlement of that lawsuit. And then the awakening, if you will, of this whole state, which, what do you mean five counties are going to get relief? They're going to get significant state funding in order to fulfill the state and the county's constitutional obligation. And everybody else is going to get nothing? Is that the answer? And of course, the legislature stepped up. Uh, and, and I'll always remember, we've got, a, uh, we've got a framed photograph here in our office of the night of the vote in which both the Assembly and the Senate voted unanimously to pass the Fahey de Francisco bill, strongly supported by NISAC, uh, which would have had the state pick up 100% of the cost. Now, that was vetoed, as we all remember, uh, but then the legislation came through uh, from the executive, from the governor, supported by the legislature, uh, to have the Harrell hiring reforms, which, by the way, Patricia was in charge of implementing for us uh, for four years before she moved up to the council position two years ago. So she not only knows the council position and the fight for funding uh, in Albany, but she also knows uh, the, the basics and, and, and the, the details of county reform very, very well. 
by her work in the five lawsuit counties. So that's been the good news on the criminal side. We might want to pause there, Pat, before we move on into the unfinished business of the family court side. Patricia? Yeah, let's, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll jump to the family court in one minute. But yeah, I think you, you said it perfectly. It was a, it was a so really um, the Royal Herring case and then the, the legislation that came from it was, I mean, we were all there for that, right? And it was a, such a team effort. Um, and it was, it was bipartisan. It was, it was you know, it, it seems like such a long time ago to even use a term like that. It, but it was, it was, it was, uh, you know, DeFran and Pat Fahey really leading the charge, but then getting buy-in from all the legislator, legislature. But then, you know, your, your office, uh, our office, uh, county leaders, I remember Dan McCoy was, was so out in front and vocal on this issue and so great. And, and, um, you know, we, we got, uh, uh, public defenders and, and even even district attorneys and, and a lot of buy-in across the board um, and, and because it's not an easy lift it sounds like an easy thing to do like the right it's the right thing to do right but it's hundreds of millions of dollars and that doesn't that doesn't uh, and that, that's the, the state of New York and they continue to keep increasing this tr due to their promise and um, really do appreciate the efforts that you all put in on that um, because yeah. it, it's and you know Pat before we thank you and, and before we move on to the unfinished business on family law though a family court um, I'm reminded uh, of uh, you know that the the business of criminal public defense reform is unfinished in two ways uh, one way, of course, is that we're not yet at 2023 when all the benchmarks and compliance with caseload standards and counselor arraignment is, is, is legally mandated under this joint effort of the state funding the state agency and the county fulfilling its responsibilities under Executive Law 832.4. But, but it's also kind of permanently unfinished business. We've been talking a lot about this in our meetings with the counties each individual county about the year two or year three of the of the of the five-year budget cycle to uh, to get to 100% compliance by 2023, and that is the familiar one of like, how do we know the state's not going to break its promise? Because it's broken promise A, promise B, promise C, promise D. Everybody can give you the litany. Uh, each county has its own litany uh, of 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 promises broken. And so what we believe and do and say uh, is that our number one agency responsibility is to be sure that that funding, which is promised in the statute, 100%, it says, um, is, is complied with every single year. So this is, a, this is a struggle every year. We've been very successful at it. We have, I think, I think the way we have... Um, uh, built our credibility with the executive and legislative branches is, I don't know if you people remember the old TV ad about the old fashioned way we earned it. And that's mm -hmm. what we do. Uh, we, we produce reports that are thick with data uh, that show demonstrable progress. Uh, we supplement that with particular examples, highlight stories uh, where the joint effort, the collaboration has made a positive difference. Um, and uh, we make it a success story because it has been a success story. And of course, the continuation of the success story is completely dependent upon two things, a continuing of the excellent collaboration 
between the counties and, and the city and ILS. And secondly, on the state every year, 100% fulfilling its promise to provide the funding. So those things don't, they just need to be said because they don't happen without a significant ongoing effort. Uh, and, uh, and that's one reason why I'm so pleased to be handing the torch over to Patricia because she knows all this, she's been intimately involved in all this, uh, and she's an excellent advocate uh, in the sometimes, uh, uh, sometimes complicated hallways of Albany, shall we say. We'll be right back to the conversation after this brief message from our sponsor. Nationwide Retirement Solutions is one of the nation's leaders in defined contribution plan administration. Nationwide provides plan administration and record keeping for public sector 457, 401A, and 403B plans. So this is a perfect opportunity for, for, for and a lot of our members already know Patricia and are well, and we'll, we'll get into um, some of her background uh, now. We, and how she was in the field meeting uh, with our members. But for those that don't know, uh, Patricia, if you could ex explain a little bit what you what you did in, in, in more, I guess, your early days at ILS um, and helping with, because, you know, Infant Legal Services of New York, it, it's, it is a state office. And as, as, um, as Bill was just explaining, you play such a vital role in, in communicating with the state legislature and the executive to make sure that these services happen and continue. But you also play such a huge role going out to counties and making sure that when this bill in particular was passed, um, this legislation was passed, that uh, it was being implemented properly, that we were improving um, our, our, our defense. Uh, and then it, this was reimbursable funds, this, this hundreds of millions of dollars. So just to make sure that we were, that the improvements we were making would be qualified as reimbursable. So, and you play such a huge role in, in helping counties understand that. Patricia, can you uh, first again, welcome. And, and why don't you walk us through a little bit of, of how ILS and counties interact um, in, in the field? Sure. Well, I started at ILS in August of 2015 as the chief attorney for the Haral Hearing Settlement Implementation Unit. Um, and so that, you know, involved working very closely with the five defendant counties, um, Onondaga, Ontario, Schuyler, Suffolk, and Washington in implementing the settlement. Um, and, you know, working with five counties did allow the the settlement team to, to cultivate um, trusting and positive relationships with the counties. Um, you know, we, you know, there's, there's a couple parts of, of implementation. One, there's the planning part, right? So that's working closely with the stakeholders and the key people in each of the counties to plan what will implementation look like? What will the programs look like in the county? We do not have a one size fits all approach because we do not have a one size fits all county. <laughs> you know, um, in New York, we have so many different systems. Um, but that allowed us, you know, to really um, work with the counties, listen to them, and really learn. And I think some of the best initiatives that we've implemented in counties um, have been a collaborative um, initiative that, you know, I can't even tell you necessarily where the idea started, you know, whether it started with ILS or with the county, but it started and then grew into a really great idea. 
Um, and so that's sort of the, you know, the culture in which I learned how to work, you know, as an ILS staffer with counties. And that was very valuable to me. I think that allowed us to do, you know, wonderful things. Um, when I was the chief attorney for the implementation unit, I did mostly planning, right? That was mostly what I did. Um, when I transitioned to council, it was a combination of planning and um, a little of what does it look like at the back end, you know, right? So now, now we not only have the plan, but you need the funding to effectuate it. So what does the contract look like? How does the contract with a county effectuate the plan? And how do we as an agency ensure prompt payments? Um, you know, because that's really critical that we're ensuring that the money is coming in from the state in the budget, the state budget, and we're ensuring that when we get claims from counties, it's going out in a timely fashion. And these may seem like small, sort of unimportant details, but they're hugely important. It's hugely important to the counties that they see that the money is flowing as it should. Um, and so as council, I've had, you know, that, that sort of perspective of ensuring that contracting is happening in a timely fashion, ensuring that the claims are going out in a timely fashion, ensuring that people are being reimbursed for, you know, allowable costs, um, ensuring people understand what allowable costs are, um, you know, and making sure that that happens so that you know, as Bill said, I, I really believe that that's part of earning the trust. Mm. Uh, and that's in addition to ensuring that the state fulfills its commitment to, you know, make, having the funding in the budget and in, in ILS's aid to localities budget every year. Um, well, so I want to thank you. I want to touch on what you're saying there about the earning the trust because it, it is definitely. From my seat, you know, I, I've also I've, I've been NYSEC about, about as long as, as Bill's been at ILS, and you know, we your office and, and you and Bill have done an amazing job of earning that trust on the county level. So I mean, you, you, and it's through communication and it's through getting out in the field, and and so you you give them the bad news even when the bad news has to happen, but you communicate that with them and and tell and you help walk through counties and and let them know. Uh, what is available and what's good. And, and, and in part, you know, for you to understand all that, you had to go out there and 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 uh, and know even, you know, for our listeners, you might not know this because your your county might just do it one way. So you assume they all do it. As Patricia mentioned at the beginning, it is, um, every county is different and it's uh, both due to demographics, but really even just the way they provide the service. It can be multiple, I mean, some have public defenders, some have what are called 18Bs, which, which um, are private attorneys that get hired out. <clears throat> some have a combination of, of the two. Uh, some use not-for-profits, right, to, for, that they license out and, 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 and or all three. And so it's it's all going to depend on the county, the size, what system they have, and they can change these all times. They usually need to talk to you, right, and 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 help guide them through what's the what's the right thing to do, right, uh, Patricia? Right. Yeah. No. Exactly. Right. I mean, you know, the the county law seven twenty two or county law eighteen b gives counties, you know, the mandate of um, providing mandated representation, but you know, those choices of how to do it. And, you know, in, in every county is, you know, different in how they elected to do it and the reasons why. Um, and, we, you know, we work within that, um, within the county approach. And, you know, there's different, you know, different personalities. 
um, different people. Traveling really made a difference. You know, I think the hard part, part about COVID is we have missed presence, you know, missed the opportunity to really be there. And as an office, you know, all of us were, were often on the road. I was telling my husband the other day, I've actually had to buy pens lately, which is weird. I was getting the hotel pens, you know, <laughs> like my, my whole stock of pens was hotel pens. <laughs> uh, and I've, I've missed that. Um, but that's been important to us. And we're looking forward to, you know, a time when people feel more comfortable traveling and having us come and visit. Um, and, you know, because we do plan on, on continuing that as soon as possible. So, but listening does matter. Um, and really hearing the county concerns. You know, so I know, for example, when I started as council, we'd gotten a little bit behind in our contracting. And, you know, one of my first responsibilities was listening to the county's concerns about that and fixing that problem, you know, catching mm -hmm. up and making sure that we, we don't get behind again. Um, you know, so, um, but that's really, you know, understanding that that's a priority for county. So that needs to be a priority for us. We appreciate it. And, and, and so that, that, you know, and I, as we just talked about, there were a lot of wins in the past decade uh, for counties and positives as far as both funding and, and support and training on the criminal end of uh, uh, um, indigent legal services. But that, that's not the whole story. It, uh, that lo a lot of counties and uh, even I fall into this when I think of your office, I think of of uh, our obligations on the criminal um, uh, legal service end, but there's there's another whole world that's that's uh, arguably just as important and is um, fiscally uh, is is quite quite high as well, and that's family court um, service. And I, if you could talk about a little bit where the landscape is there in a county role and, and what you're hoping for um, and, and what your vision for the future there, uh, Patricia. Sure. Well, in New York, there's a fairly broad right to counsel um, for parents. And by parents, I mean, you know, biological parents and legally responsible adults um, in, in family court matters. And under um, county law, Article 18B, um, you know, justice counties have the obligation of, um, you know, providing, um, fulfilling the right to counsel in criminal matters. They do um, also have that obligation in family court matters for adults and for parents. Um, and it's just as, you know, that the right to counsel um, in, in these matters is no less important than it is in criminal matters. Um, you know, criminal matters, yes, you're talking about the loss of liberty and reputation, in family court matters, you're talking about um, state interference and involvement in people's, the most intimate parts of people's lives, their families. Um, and that's the core of who we are as people. Um, and so that is, is just as important. And the state recognizes that in, in you know, the, the decision statutory and constitutional about the right to counsel in family court matters. Um, but the state, you know, while the state has taken great stop strides in um, funding for, you know, improvements in criminal cases and the criminal right to counsel, the state has not similarly taken the same steps in family court matters um, for the representation of parents. Um, and so we've been working very hard on using the resources that we have um, to effectuate some improvements across the state. Um, and our responsibility as the agency responsible for guidance and standards. Um, 
and we continue to work with the state on, on trying to, to obtain the funding that is really needed. Um, in, in 2018, the chief judge um, you know, created a commission on parental representation and family court matters. And in February of 2019, that commission um, you know, issued an, an interim report that touched upon child welfare matters or state intervention matters when the state is involved in, in um, the families of you know, um, lives, so in family court matters. So you know, child neglect proceedings, termination of parental rights, abuse proceedings, those kinds of things. Um, and that commission's report was very similar to the K Commission report, you know, the, the analogous report mm -hmm. in, in criminal matters, and really talked about the, the state needing to step up to the plate and provide funding and guidance in ensuring that there's quality representation in these very important matters. Um, and so we've been trying to effectively use that commission's report. Um, we've done two things that the commission called for. One was issuing um, or updating the um, eligibility standards um, that we had um, to issue pursuant to the settlement. So these are standards for determining financial eligibility for assignment of counsel. We did that for criminal cases <clears throat> in 2016. And just recently, um, we updated those to include family court matters as well. Um, and so, you know, those were issued earlier this year. And, um, and then, you know, we look forward to issuing um, after um, this board, the next ILS board meeting, which is June 11th, um, standards for workloads for family court attorneys. These standards, however, will necessarily be contingent upon the availability of state funding um, because they need state funding to be realized. Well, we, we, and we, we really appreciate that stance. It, it's, it was uh, something that was actually put, I believe, even in the legislation uh, for the criminal side, and that, that really um, helped counties out a lot. The, the recognition that, that these, these services do need improvement but also the recognition that the county is not obligated to until the state provides that funding. And once they do, then of course, um, the, we, we can, we can uh, adequately improve it. But the, the last thing um, a county wants to do is have to uh, expend, expend for one service and take away from another. And it, it, you've really, your office has been great with, with pushing for, to ensure that, that um, when the demands are, you need to, to improve the service, that, that there's some funding and help uh, guidance behind that. So um, we, we really we really appreciate that. You also, we also got some a modest a modest win, right? And, and a win's a win with with the 2.5 million, right? Um, so why don't you talk about a little about that in the budget, and then what we can use with that? So in this year's um, a you know ILS aid to localities budget, there is an additional 2.5 million um, just for um, improving parental representation and family court matters. Um, and so we intend to um, use that funding. Um, we're hoping to issue RFP sometime this summer um, to counties. You know, we haven't had a final board decision on this yet, which we're hoping to get at the June meeting. Um, but our goal is to issue RFPs. It will be a small amount of money, but enough for a provider to hire a full-time attorney to do um, you know, um, state intervention matters in, in family court to hire a full-time attorney and maybe um, do some extra training or, um, 
you know, contract for a social worker or experts or, you know, other resources for, for um, you know, for the delivery that, you know, proved um, representation in the delivery of parental representation. So, you know, our experience has been, you know, we did something similar several years ago when we issued um, an RFP for upstate um, caseload reduction and quality improvement. And again, it was a small amount of funding each year, but counties really effectively used the funding. Um, you know, it was enough to hire an attorney. It was enough to hire a social worker or a parent advocate. And we're hoping to do the same with this funding. Um, and, you know, will it, you know, is it enough necessary to um, do what the commission recommended be done in its February 2019 interim report? No, but it, is it an important first step? Absolutely. Um, and we believe that this first step will be will help to show what is possible and that that will um, allow for more leverage to advocate for, for more state funding. That's great. And, and we'll, we'll, um, we'll be there uh, to help with that, uh, that push for, the, for more funding for that. It's, it's um, Again, we, we've seen the benefit and the, the outcome to our residents on the, the criminal side. And um, if, we, yeah, if we can really bolster and help out the defense and, and family court, um, especially with, with the funding that we'll need, we'll, we'll, we'll be there uh, with you to, to try to help out. So we, we appreciate the partnership. Um, you know, and, and also on that, uh, with the NISAC partnership, we, you've been always so, so great at uh, your office coming to our conferences, talking to our members directly, uh, letting them know from everything from, you know, do, do buying new computers qualify for the grant to, you know, what these kind of talks, like what's, what's the, what are we expecting a uh, larger picture vision in the future? So I, I um, as always, I, I hope that, um, uh, we keep, and I, I'll go beyond, I hope, I know we'll continue that relationship really. Absolutely. I, Looking forward to that, Patricia, with you and um, and Bill. It's been great. Uh, so I, I, I don't even necessarily want to wrap up right now, but I want to just again thank you. Uh, we have an ISAC, and I know how much uh, I and Steve Aquari appreciate our relationship with you over the years. Um, it's uh, it's it, we're, we're 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 sad to see you go, uh, but but obviously we're we're in great hands with with Patricia and Bill. We're gonna take. We're, we're gonna have that lunch with you that I keep promising, Bill, and, and we'll we'll uh, do a do a, a more traditional goodbye. But uh, thanks for everything. But I, and okay. I I'll, I'll leave leave it to to let you wrap up on anything you want to talk. Okay. Thank you very much. Sorry for the interruption. Yeah, it's my last day, and uh, uh, and it's a and it's a day of of course reflection, but also tremendous optimism, uh, because it's not just what we've done. We've done as as we've talked about. We've made, we've made significant strides in some areas. Just kind of beginning baby steps in the parental representation area. Uh, but what we've got is we've got a blueprint for success, and the blueprint is the collaboration. And we all, even ten years later, we hear this frequently in our conversations with counties. Why can't all state agencies talk with us the way you guys do? Well. We just because that's how we operate. We think it makes for success. Um, and the other piece of it is, do we continue to prove to the state uh, that its funding commitment, which is, as you said, Pat, very significant already, um, it's worth sustaining and increasing and expanding into the parental area. And that's all about, you know, do, this, do these guys produce? 
uh, and we can't produce without the counties. Um, it has to be a two-way street. It never works as a one-way street. Uh, so that's the model. That's the blueprint. Um, and of course, you know, in politics, everything changes on a constant basis. Uh, and um, what what we believe is that the Sixth Amendment does not apply to the right to counsel, of course, I'm talking about in the Sixth Amendment, does not apply to, you know, Republicans only, Democrats only, small counties only, big cities only. It applies to everyone. And it puts a responsibility on everyone. And, you know, the history in New York, the unfortunate history as of 2010, when we started, is the Supreme Court in the Gideon case put the responsibility on the state. The state, by the device of enacting County Law 18B, shifted it over to the counties. The counties were, over time, became resentful, and this is a burden we cannot bear. We cannot afford, we don't know how to do it. And so we had a, we had a very unfortunate um, uh, situation that has gotten so much better in 10 years. And the, the biggest bright um, news is that we know exactly how to keep it going for the next 10 and beyond. And, um, and, and, and with Patricia in, in place as director, uh, she's got you know, to re replace herself as counsel. That's one of her big early challenges. And I'm sure she'll make an excellent choice there. Uh, and that team of director and counsel and all the staff at ILS and all our partners out there in all the counties will continue to work together, will continue to do what has worked in the past. And I, I just could not feel happier or more optimistic at this moment. And this is the moment. We're in the afternoon of my last day and we're on the eve of Patricia's first day. So we really appreciate you, Pat and Steve and Kate and opening up this podcast to us to give us an opportunity to, to speak with our partners throughout the state through your membership and through your podcasts. Uh, thanks, thanks ever so much. Of course, Bill and, and, and Patricia again. Thank you both for your time. Um, I, I, again, Bill, I got close to you, but I don't, I don't think this will be a goodbye. This will, this will be a goodbye for you in that this position for now, but we'll be in touch. And Patricia, uh, thanks again for all your time. We'll be following up with soon so thank you for your time and for you for members um know too that that that, that both bill and patricia are great at as we talked about the communication so if you have any questions uh or, or, or about about your program in your county uh, you can you can always you can always reach out to their office directly they they um they are both hands-on and we'll get back to you with with the answers you need thank you thank you Thank you for tuning in to this episode of County Conversations. We hope that you will keep tuning in for new episodes each week that feature insightful conversations on current and topical information focused on county government. Until then, feel free to reach out to our staff if there are any topics that you would like to hear us discuss or join us as a guest to discuss on the podcast. <laughs>